1: Hi, this is Chris Morgan. You're listening to The Wild on KUOW. Over the next hour, we're going to be playing past episodes from our podcast. And today, it's all about the power of spending time out in nature, what it does for your mind and body. It feels like a topic that comes up a lot these days as so many people are looking for ways to clear the mind in our busy world. And Well, I think part of it is because we've all been through a lot since this podcast episode was released in 2019. A devastating global pandemic halted all of us. COVID seemed to unearth and accelerate the need for a bit of nature for so many people. I feel very fortunate. I love wild places and I spend a lot of time in them, but it doesn't have to be wilderness, as we'll hear. Sometimes just sitting under a tree is enough to reap the benefits of time outdoors. So this episode is all about disengaging and going out into natural spaces. I join a therapist, a forest therapist, and I have a conversation with Florence Williams, who wrote the book The Nature Fix. It's a fascinating conversation, and uh, actually, I think about it all the time when I'm out in the woods. But I also think that we've got to be mindful of not completely tuning out, you know. There's a world around each of us with humans in it. And there's always a lot of important stuff going on for us to be aware of. A tricky balance sometimes, right? Ironically, I like to think that quiet time in nature helps to remind us that connecting with other people is very important. And also good for your health. I always tell my grown kids, don't forget, smile at strangers. A note about this episode, the original version of the podcast included a quote from John Muir. We decided to remove it after learning about his past racist statements against indigenous and black people. So let's head out to a place outdoors near my home in Bellingham, Washington. I'm in this little patch of forest near my house and I come out here quite a bit to hike and relax and just think, kind of recalibrate. And recently I've been thinking a lot about this magazine article I read in a a doctor's office. It was about six years ago. Uh, I was bored in the waiting room, and so I picked up a magazine. And the article, it was titled, Take Two Hours of Pine Forest and Call Me in the Morning. (laughs) And it was all about why we should be spending time in nature. And, you know, it was a long article, and I, I couldn't wait to get out of my appointment to finish reading it, which I did. And I sat there for an extra 45 minutes, and... I've been thinking about that article ever since. Because, you know, when you're out in the woods or walking along a beach and you feel healthier and happier and more content, even, even maybe more alert and more alive, and I'd always wondered, why is that? I knew I felt better in the woods, but this article was suddenly telling me why. It highlighted the benefits of nature backed up by scientific proof, Nature can lower your blood pressure, reduce depression, help your sleep, and may even help fight cancer. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild. Modern life, it demands our attention.
2: What's happening on the American border? Political groups
3: in Lebanon...
1: There's a constant noisy flood of information.
3: The Mueller report is... Stocks slumping again as the heat turns... Our
1: jobs never seem to end. I I work for myself. I have a lot of different projects, and I love them all, but it can be stressful. There's constant phone calls and texts and messages from my producer badger me for script updates, (laughs) and even life outside of work seems to be more hectic these days it can all be too much sometimes you know the noise in our lives so that's why i come to this place a lot my forest it's only about a 15 minute drive from my office so i'm i'm on this hiking trail it's a 3 mile loop and takes me about 60 minutes to hike but sometimes a lot longer it's really peaceful this trail it's special to me it's my escape from everything and everybody that that demands my time. My mates sometimes ask me if they can join me and I say, nope, sorry, this is where I get into the zone. (laughs) Even my producer's only here because he's the guy with the microphone, right Matt? (laughs) He nods. (laughs) That article, the one I read in the doctor's office, was a total page turner. One of the things it talked about was the Japanese concept of Shinrin Yoku, which literally translates into forest bathing. The Japanese actually came up with the term only in 1982, but the ideas around Shinrin-yoku are much older than that. They're inspired by ancient Shinto and Buddhist practices. There's this harrowing Japanese term, Karoshi, which literally means death by overwork. And it was getting so bad, that the government wanted a way to encourage their stressed out citizens to, to take a walk in the woods, to relax more. There are even official forest therapy hiking trails in Japan. They take this stuff really seriously. So I wanted to learn more about this forest bathing. So short of jumping on a plane to Japan, I found a local forest bathing therapist. This is the Pacific Northwest, after all. And the therapist's name is Julie, Julie Hep.
4: I am a certified forest therapy guide to the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy.
1: Julie goes by the pronoun they. I meet up with them in, in a small forest on Bainbridge Island, just west of downtown Seattle. And before our actual forest therapy session gets started, we get onto the topic of local birds. Julie suddenly belts out the best barred owl call for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> who who sews for you? What
4: is it? Who cooks for who?
1: Who cooks for who? Who cooks, who cooks for who? who? Who cooks for who? That's how they describe <laughs> the barred owl. Julie's type of forest therapy is inspired by these ideas of Shinrin-yoku. They believe that this practice is based on old foundations, but it's kind of a new awakening of this ancient idea.
4: I mean, forest therapy really is a way to build connection and reciprocity, meaning really just connection and interaction and sort of ways to show gratitude.
1: Julie told me about an experience they had while training to become a forest therapist.
4: In the forest where we were, there were oak trees, which I consider one of, one of my soul trees. Mm. I feel like I can talk to them easier than perhaps other trees. Because I grew <laughs> up with them. The right, the we speak the same language as the We speak the same, yeah. We know each other.
1: Julie had been thinking a lot about questions around their identity at the time.
4: And then I, I asked the tree, am I going to be okay with all these things that I'm wondering and yep. um, about and with. And I've, I heard in some capacity, just, or felt, heard and felt perhaps, just like an overwhelming sense of love from this being. And just felt like I heard like, yes, yes.
1: Julie's going to walk me through a, a regular forest therapy session. They say it should allow all my senses to take in this forest. I'm honestly not quite sure what to expect.
4: The experience is up to you. I'm just here to open up the door.
1: I see. It's like a shrink session in some ways.
4: Mm, kind of, yeah. I like that analogy a little bit. Yeah. So um, this space that we're in right now, uh, I have- work
1: for this? Oh, yeah. Human, human creation yeah. flying over. I mean, over.
4: <laughs> that's important too. Everything moves and
1: yeah, it's
4: for a reason. There are. Hi, friends. Uh, yeah. So I think
1: me touching different just, things... Let's is, wait for this guy to go over sure. here because we, we won't be able to use it. <laughs> we want to feel like we're in the woods without...
4: Yeah. I mean, as much as possible.
1: Yeah. The plane doesn't seem to bother Julie at all. Then we begin the session.
4: And so... Just to start us off, I want to invite you just to notice all these different beings that are around us today.
1: We're facing each other, standing about six feet apart.
4: Um, Next, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and close your eyes if you feel invited to do so. And again, taking a couple deep breaths in.
1: Julie starts to give me instructions to kind of engage all my senses with the world around me. And I'm totally in. Julie asks me to pay special attention to what I smell. And we'd literally pick up dirt off the forest floor so we can feel the forest. Julie even invites me to open my mouth so I can taste the forest too.
4: Opening up your mouth in different directions and closing it slowly. Tasting different places. Or perhaps you're feeling a little playful and want to stick your tongue in.
1: I feel a bit ridiculous standing there, mouth open, tongue out, trying to taste the forest, trying not to laugh. But it also gets me thinking. Julie goes on.
4: Taking a moment to imagine almost as if you were a tree, invite yourself to perhaps grow roots into this ground.
1: The therapy steps continue, but I'm finding it hard to concentrate. There's a noise from a nearby road and construction work that really doesn't help.
4: And I would like to invite you to open your eyes slowly, carefully, and then to acknowledge this thing, whatever it is, whatever it might be, as if it was your first time seeing it or knowing it. Whenever you're ready, may open up your eyes.
1: I open my eyes and right behind me is this giant fir tree. It was like seeing an old friend you haven't seen in years. And Julie invites me to talk about what else I've noticed about my surroundings. I'm noticing how loud human beings are (laughs) and how I'm trying to block it out. And I was drawn to that direction over there because it was away from the sounds of people and it was nice, it was calming.
4: Never turn off the human noise you, and that's, okay. you, that's something
1: you've made me think about I have a hard time with that it kind of mm. it ruins it whenever I go into the woods I want somewhere silent away from any human sound even a dog barking that we could hear there and you've made me think differently about it immediately as soon as we're on this trail you were like no that's part of it, even a plane flying over you know it's part of it, there are other beings right mm-hmm. it's, so true. it's a different way of looking at it
4: yeah, welcome oh. to forest therapy <laughs> <laughs> so uh.
1: so interesting to see it in practice you know, experiencing this with Julia was definitely one way of approaching time of nature. It gave me some things to think about. Even though it was a little bit sedentary for me, it's almost like becoming a kid again. Being in and around nature gives us that sense of wonder. But it still made me wonder, what's really going on? What's really going on with our minds and even our bodies when we experience the outdoors? We'll look at scientific evidence that shows time spent in nature can actually physically improve your health in some pretty incredible ways. We'll get into that after the break. The idea that spending time in nature or forest bathing makes us feel better might seem obvious, but I wanted to know how nature affects us physiologically. What is exposure to nature doing to us on a cellular level? I kept thinking about that outside magazine article, the one I read so many years ago in my doctor's waiting room, and it turns out the author, Florence Williams, has expanded that article into a book. It's called The Nature Fix, So I decided to get in touch with her. Florence had a lot of the same questions as me, and she spent time in Tokyo observing researchers measuring the effects of nature on the body.
2: So what they found is that even after, and this is sort of remarkable, after just 15 minutes of, you know, what they call forest bathing, even after just 15 minutes of that, they were finding this reduction in heart rate, A drop in blood pressure, a drop in stress hormones like cortisol, some different wave, sort of brain wave patterns. You know, and when I first heard this, I was a little bit skeptical because I thought, well, sure, you know, people are just, they're outside and they're moving.
1: Moving and getting a bit of exercise. That would make anybody feel better, right? But these Japanese researchers controlled for that by also sending people to walk around urban areas for the same
2: mileage and the
1: same amount of time.
2: And they really only saw these sort of well-being effects in the forest walkers, so it was kind of intriguing to me.
1: And, and how are they actually measuring the, the physiological changes? How are they measuring yeah. uh, cortisol, for example?
2: So, with the cortisol, um, they have these sort of very fat kind of Q-tips <laughs> that you suck on for a while, uh, and they, you know, they get some saliva uh, in that, and they can have that analyzed pretty quickly for cortisol levels, um, and then. There are other machines they use to monitor things like heart rate variability, um, and that measures actually sort of the difference between your heartbeats uh, and can tell how quickly you're responding to stress actually in real time. Um, and then, you know, basic pulse monitors. Um, there was a, a gizmo later that they can, they can put on your head to measure <laughs> some some frontal cortex stuff. Um, but at the same time, they have these you know, pretty well-established measures in the field of psychology that are just questionnaires. You know, how would you rate? your sense of frustration right now? How would you rate your anxiety? How would you rate your your sort of mood? And those are pretty well established. And and what they find in in those questionnaires is that it really seems to correlate, again, to this walk in nature, but not so much the walk in the middle of the city.
1: One of the researchers in Japan looking into this idea of forest bathing is named Cheng Li. He's looking at how spending time in nature can improve our immune system and killer T-cells.
2: Killer T cells are really important for fighting things like cancer and various infections, uh, and and he's been specifically focused on um, these aerosols from the trees called phytoncides, and these are you know chemicals that are sort of emitted from trees. Um, I guess they're, they're especially sort of potent and maybe useful from some of these evergreen trees that they have in Japan, like these hinoki cypress trees. Um, and it's a combination of these compounds like limonene um, that, we, that smell wonderful. They sort of smell like, you know, Christmas tree meets VapoRub, you know, is how <laughs> I describe it. It's a kind <laughs> nice. of invigorating smell when you go into the woods. Um, and what he's found is that after we're exposed to these, you know, special substances and compounds, we make more killer T cells actually boosts our immune cells. Um, and that boost is, is, remains quite high for seven days after a visit to a forest.
1: You'd be proud to know I've got a little vial of hinoki cypress oil on my bedside <laughs> table. Thanks, thanks to you.
2: Thanks to my I, I should have bought <laughs> stock in hinoki cypress oil. <laughs> yes. I, it's not too late.
1: <laughs> wow. A simple walk through the woods is actually increasing our immunity and may even help to fight cancer. Dr. Lee, who has been studying this, suggests that everybody should spend time outside at least once a week. You know, get that high boost in immune cells. But even just once a month might really help you out. And it's not just the phytoncides that we can benefit from in the woods. There's a lot of biodiversity in the forest, microbacteria. And Florence says this exposure to a variety of bacteria during a walk can be a good thing too
2: these are things that humans evolved with. We evolved with exposures to all these bacteria. And these bacteria may also help us fight, you know, sort of illness or fight kind of worse bacteria. Sort of mm. the more biodiversity we can expose ourselves to, um, the better. And that's, that's part of this hygiene hypothesis, you know, where kids who grow up on farms or in rural areas um, have fewer um, cases of asthma and allergies and things like that. So I think that's right. another intriguing possibility. And I think, you know, the science isn't really totally, totally resolved on this issue. There's still a lot to be done.
1: This idea that nature is medicine... Maybe starting to catch on. A few doctors, both in Japan and America, have already started to prescribe patients nature and time outside. And the research doesn't just stop at improving the health of our physical bodies. Nature can actually help us get along better, it can make us better people.
2: So, there's been some really interesting new work on the science of awe. A-W-E, awe, and that when we're in the presence of something sort of beautiful and mysterious, you know, like an incredible sunset, um, you know, looking at a mountaintop, or even just something as simple as, you know, a butterfly kind of surprising us, right, in our path, it pulls us out of our own heads and makes us feel like we're part of something larger, which, you know, seems like a sort of obvious thing to say, but it turns out that that, that, that concept of being pulled out of ourselves is really, really important to our sense of well-being and to our psychology. And and if you think about it, it's not something that we really experience very often in these lives, you know, where we live sort of isolated and indoors. You know, maybe we see a cool video, you know, on Facebook or something. Uh, But in general, we're not exposed to the kind of awe found in nature that, that we were, you know, in a more primitive life when we really lived outside. So I was really interested in exploring this idea of how um, in some ways wilderness is actually good for civilization because it makes us feel like we are part of a community, that we have a responsibility to each other. Um, and, and studies have shown this, that that even in a lab after looking at photographs of like a waterfall, or of a whale, that we behave in ways that are more generous to other people. You know, there's certain ways that that the researchers have of measuring sort of altruism. Um, And it seems like it's really partly impacted by this feeling of awe.
1: After my conversation with Florence Williams, I I have a greater appreciation for Julie Hepp, the forest bather. Maybe smelling the dirt and Tasting the forest isn't such a crazy idea. And for Julie, spending time in nature is a religious experience.
4: And I feel like the the forest is my church in a little bit of a way. You know, I come here to, you know, pay honor or worship, whatever you want to call it, the the beings that are there and commune with them and learn with them. I feel like that that's sort of a religious practice. Um, I can I relate feel. to that
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I have a forest that I go on regularly near home and um, that's the way I feel about it it's my cathedral I'm walking into and I'm here now in my cathedral in my happy place in the woods it's nature that connects us all every one of us it's nature we're from you know, we were wild and there's a big part of us that I think still is wild, a bigger part than we might imagine in this crazy world we've built around ourselves. Scratch away at the surface and we're all just hairless apes after all. But I'm hoping that even us hairless apes remember that nature can change us and it can change society for the better. And in return, society should take care of nature too. What a great relationship that could be. And perhaps it all just starts... With a walk in the woods. Well, my fellow hairless apes, I hope that episode gave you some inspiration about awe and altruism and connection. So much to mull over. And I love Florence's line that wilderness is part of civilization. There's more of The Wild with Chris Morgan coming up and a different look at pausing, assessing, and connecting through a search for absolute silence among the mossy trees deep in an Olympic National Park forest. Stick with us, we'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Chris Morgan. Over this hour, I'm sharing episodes of our podcast, The Wild. And today's episodes are especially poignant, I think, because when we started The Wild, we set out not just to tell fascinating stories, but to help reconnect listeners with nature. For this next episode, I join two people who are searching for the quietest places in the world, places that are important for people. Yes, research has shown that over time, noise pollution increases the likelihood of things like heart attacks, diabetes, and depression. But also, these places, quiet places, are critical to nature itself. You might have heard about how the the din of the shipping industry and underwater mining can cause mass strandings in dolphins and whales, for example. But did you also know that traffic noise could increase the heart rate of caterpillars? And birds and frogs have changed their calls so they can be heard in noisy habitats. There are so many reasons to seek silence. And we start with a man who's been doing just that for over 40 years and talking to people about saving silence. He even founded an organization called Quiet Parks International. I love this episode from our podcast, and I hope you do too. I left my home in Bellingham, Washington this morning. I jumped on my motorcycle and headed off down the busy highway. Took a ferry to Port Townsend to get to this meeting. Up the creaky, up the creaky steps. And now I'm in this old building. I'm here to meet a man named Gordon Hempton seems fitting that uh, Gordon Gordon's office is at the top of a set of squeaky floorboard steps <laughs> it's fitting because Gordon is a man obsessed with silence the card on his office door says the sound tracker as soon as i meet him i know we're going to get along hello, hello. <laughs> That's a warm hey, up. You look like a mountain man. I'm in, uh, Gordon. Yeah, nice to, to meet you. He's surprisingly larger than life for a fella who likes a little peace and quiet. Gordon calls himself the sound tracker because he's made a career out of recording the sounds of nature. For four decades, he searched out the quietest locations on Earth to record them without any noise pollution. And in the world we live in today finding a place without human-made noise that takes a lot of persistence today it would take four or
3: five weeks of search right now to locate a new quiet place to record of which if done correctly um, it would then take maybe three or four days to record and after um, those three to four days of recording if i came out with 15 minutes of pure nature, that would be a gold mine.
1: That's a pack of coyotes, one of Gordon's favourite recordings. Film productions and even video game companies then buy recordings from Gordon. That's the practical side of his life. We've all got to pay the bills, but recording nature and finding silence is much more than just a way to make money for him. His passion is listening, really listening. In fact, Gordon believes that listening is fundamental to the survival of all animal life on Earth. Every animal species
3: has the ability to hear. Not every animal species has the ability to see. That is a defining sense. We have eyelids. Eyes are an affordable luxury that, when you've seen enough, either turn away or close your eyes.
1: Gordon preaches the benefits of quiet, noise-free locations. We need quiet places to fall
3: back in love with Earth.
1: But Gordon wasn't always into listening. He told me he was called to this passion on his way to start grad school. He was driving across the country when he started to get sleepy. As a young student, he wasn't about to pay for a hotel, so he just threw his sleeping bag out in a field.
3: A thunderstorm rolled over me and uh, I just, for some reason, listened to it completely for the first time. And then... I didn't move. I just listened and heard the echoes and I heard the whole valley and the clouds and everything revealed to me. And then when it was over, I only had one question is, how could I be 27 years old and have never listened before?
1: Gordon dropped out of school and started working as a bike messenger in Seattle. He'd make trips out to the forest and mountains to to record, and slowly he built up his reputation and his career. He's now travelled the world recording sound. He even won an Emmy for his work. Now Gordon is in his 60s, and he's become an advocate for quiet places.
3: You know. It was a job made for me, and I was made for it, except for the fact that um, I've been losing my hearing pretty steadily. And how has that felt? Uh, just give me a moment. Complicated. It's hard to breathe. Uh-huh because there's so so much history not only in just the shock of losing my hearing but all the changes of life (sighs) but also chris there's immense love and gratitude um, because i would probably still be uh, working alone today if i didn't lose my hearing
1: It amazes me how people can see a silver lining sometimes. This silver lining came in the form of a tall, energetic, 24-year-old named Matt. Matt Mickelson. Matt was an audio engineering student in upstate New York when a friend told him about Gordon's work. And he was instantly curious, so Matt decided to send Gordon an email. And I said, hey, what you
0: do sounds really cool. I'd love to hear more about it. And he responded.
1: Gordon went out on a limb and invited Matt out to Washington State to meet, and now they've been working together for six years as partners in this work. Matt has long hair and a beard, giving kind of a Viking look. It's easy to see how Gordon fell for his energy, but it goes way beyond that. Gordon refers to Matt as his hearing aid. Matt can hear a lot of the high-frequency sounds that Gordon can't anymore.
0: What did you say a few weeks ago? You said that you're hearing impaired and I'm listening impaired. Exactly. And so together we make a really great team.
3: No, together we make a whole person, Matt. <laughs> yes, a whole person.
0: Okay.
1: Yes, not a good team. Just it one person. A beautiful pairing, I gotta say. It's just yeah. And in person, it's lovely to see. There's such great energy. It's like a father and son relationship between these two, and Gordon is preparing Matt to continue his work. I've passed the baton, and now I'm
3: behind Matt pushing his back the best I can so he can keep up the speed I've been trying to carry.
0: And I'm currently fumbling the baton, and it's up in the air, and I'm trying to re-catch it again, and you're behind me just keeping it. You know, I can't even
3: see. All I see
0: is your back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just still pushing. Yep, Mm -hmm. you are indeed.
1: (laughs) Matt is going to be my guide for the next few days on my trip into the wilderness. My guide to find silence. We're headed to a place Gordon named One Square Inch of Silence. It's in the Ho Rainforest, an Olympic National Park in Western Washington State, a place where sea meets mountains meets forest. But before we leave the town of Port Townsend, Gordon has some parting words. He tells me that I can learn things from the silence.
3: Silence definitely is the think tank of the soul. It takes us to a very deep place in our lives. But now we don't need to answer silence. We can just be with silence. Spend some time with silence and you can carry on a conversation with it.
1: So much noise is about humans getting from A to B. Transportation. We're a loud species. And Gordon and Matt have rules for what qualifies as a quiet place. The place has to be free of noise for 15 minutes. And that 15 minute window has to occur in a certain period of time. That period starts one hour before sunrise and ends two hours after sunset. 15 minutes of silence over the course of a whole day doesn't sound that hard to find. But there are only about a dozen places in the lower 48 that meet that standard.
0: Um, it's very uncommon to find places that are far away from roads, like even more than a quarter mile away from a road is, is really special. Um, and like the places that we're going in one square inch of silence is um, the road that leads to it is 20 miles long, kind of off the highway, and then we're going to hike three to five miles in, so we're going to be miles away from the nearest road, which is really a unique perspective. So then we're cutting out road noise, and the only thing we have to worry about is air traffic. So we'll hear some air traffic, but we won't hear any road noise, which is really amazing.
1: Our destination, one square inch of silence. That might sound strange, kind of small, but that's part of Gordon's strategy. In order to keep this one square inch silent, You really have to keep noise pollution away for miles in all directions. So, if you preserve this one square inch, you're actually creating a much bigger area of silence, all all radiating from this one spot. I'm anxious to get to the forest, but Matt wants me to hear something else first.
0: All right, let's go. It
1: takes me to the beach Rialto Beach. It's stunning, it stretches for miles. It's a pretty wild scene jumbled with giant logs that have been thrashed by the waves. Matt starts setting up a crazy looking microphone.
0: And so you can see, as I pull back the cover here, there's eight microphones in this array.
1: He sets it up on a tripod on the beach. Okay, tell me what I'm gonna,
0: tell me what's happening here. Yeah, so essentially I just want you to be able to listen to how sensitive this microphone is.
1: He's also got one of those fluffy wind coverings on it, so it looks like a giant skunk or something. And then he hands me the headphones.
0: Mm -hmm. So, here you go. And if it's too loud or anything, let me know. Can I wait for a wave? Absolutely. Hey, listen for a while. (laughs)
1: Oh my God, that's awesome.
0: Our brains do an amazing job of like masking different sounds and kind of affecting our hearing. And so when you start listening to a microphone, through a microphone, when you start listening to nature sounds, the experience becomes totally different because you cut out the equation of your brain masking information. So you start picking up on things that you really don't usually hear. Wow, it's almost like you've never heard a wave before. That's exactly how I feel. And that, that feeling doesn't go away. You know, for me, every time I start to listen through a microphone, I feel like I've never heard that sound before.
1: listening to this right now it is so incredibly noisy but it's beautiful noise right so how do you define the difference between somewhere that's quiet and somewhere that's noisy in terms of your work the natural sound versus Mm -hmm. human sound what's the because i mean some people might think that we're trying to go and find silence and it's definitely not silent here yeah what's the difference
0: yeah so we talk about natural silence we're going to talk about natural silence a lot and natural silence doesn't mean quiet Quiet and natural silence are two different things. Natural silence means the lack of noise pollution. Um, whereas when you talk about quiet or silence, we're talking about a lack of sound. Um, and when you say it's so noisy, it's, it's so loud. It's loud. kind of what you mean. It's a whole know?
1: vocabulary you've got to be careful yeah. with.
0: Yeah. yeah, because it becomes very confusing very quickly when you're talking with people. But sound and noise, for me the difference is that noise is undesirable. Sound is desirable
1: we leave the beach behind it's time to continue on it's time to head into the rainforest to prepare for our day tomorrow We've settled at camp, just inside the national park. The tents are set up now and we're right by this beautiful creek and there's some smaller mountains all around with deep green forest and every mile is getting kind of quieter, getting closer to the silence that we're looking for. So we're going to go in even deeper tomorrow on foot. I can't wait.
0: Um great, so here we are at the entrance to the Ho River Trail. Um, birds are just waking up.
1: What time is it now? 6.16am. 6, yep. Just starting to come alive in these last five, six minutes. Yep. I yeah. can't wait to get in there. We head off down the trail. And the bird song just comes alive. And somehow it sounds different.
0: And really like you can hear how lively all the bird song is right now. They have a lot to say. It's like their first communication of the day. They're just waking up. And So even if you don't know exactly what species of bird it is or exactly what the call is, it has this energy to it that we don't get at any other time other
1: than dawn. The whole rainforest is an otherworldly place. Deep green moss hangs off the branches of the trees that grow out at odd angles. The forest looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. It's easy to picture Sasquatch when you're in a forest like this. <laughs> Especially when I look so much like Sasquatch. <laughs> Just then, a tiny wren flies down and lands on a branch about three feet away from us and just lets it all out.
0: If you took like a three-year-old's fist and balled it up, that's about the size of a pig. And it's so small.
1: I read once that pound for pound these guys belt out a song that is ten times louder than a rooster for their size. Pretty impressive. Its surroundings make this tiny bird with a big voice even more impressive. Giant Sitka spruce trees that are over 800 years old and seven feet thick. Succulent ferns and huge big leaf maples. Picture yourself walking into Jurassic Park. The place is just dripping with prehistoric life. These ferns and trees are found in fossils. The same fossils as dinosaurs. But even this deep in the forest, we still aren't clear of human made noise. Underneath the singing birds and drizzle of rain, we can still hear a hum coming from the visitor center half a mile away. So we're out of sight of the visitor center,
0: but you can still hear that hum if you listen. Very faintly. So that'll kind of gauge our distance from the last noise pollution that enters this place that's kind of permanently here so let's get away from it
1: as the birds sing over the hum of the human noise behind us it makes me think about the impact that noise must have on them and all wildlife as we walk down the trail we hear something oh did you hear that? was it spruce grouse? yeah I think so Grouse have a very low, deep call. That low human hum from the visitor centre probably affects the spruce grouse more than any other bird we've heard. Every bird species communicates on its own frequency. Think about it like tuning your radio into a particular station. Different bird species have different frequencies, so they don't have to compete for the airwaves to be heard. So for species like the grouse it's really advantageous
0: for them because none of the other birds want to be singing that low so the grouse just has all that clear room but that's also why the grouse is so subject to you know,
1: issues from noise pollution. So that hum from the visitor centre can really cause a bit of a headache for the grouse. With the birds as our soundtrack we push deeper into silent country but we aren't making it anywhere very quickly. Turns out, listening to all this cool stuff can take some time. Yeah, so we've gone 0.9
0: miles in about an hour and 15 minutes, which just tells you how, what our pace is. And it's not a bad thing. I think, if anything, it's a good thing. Um, but maybe we'll pick it up, like, just a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is actually hard for me to go this slow. I'm used to just getting to my destination, but I'm really enjoying this. Being here with Matt in the forest, it's it's forcing me to slow down, and I almost feel like if I was blindfolded, it wouldn't matter, because today isn't about what I can see; it's about being acutely aware of every single little sound. Another hour goes by, and we haven't heard a single human noise since the hum of the visitor center faded away. I can finally hear myself breathe. And this weird kind of transition from one world to another starts to happen. We come around a slow bend in the trail and Matt stops and kind of gestures at something with this proud smile. In front of us, about 20 yards away, is a big tree. whose trunk makes a hole like a, a big pair of bow legs. Wow. Yeah. What an entryway. It really is. Where do you go in? Where do you think you go? Through that? No. It's like too good to be true. Oh my God, that is magic. Yeah. Yeah. He points to the hole in the tree. This is the entrance. The entrance to one square inch of silence.
0: First, I think it's worth acknowledging that we're on the ancestral land of the Ho tribe. Um, And they've used this area for as long as we have record of um, to gather and to hunt, to fish salmon, um, and they've been amazing stewards of the land.
1: Before we step through the magic portal, Matt tells us the most important rule, no talking.
0: And feel free to do, like, whatever feels good. If you want to lay down, close your eyes, if you want to sit on a log, if you want to stand, whatever you feel like doing, um... Obviously, we should make sure our cell phones are silenced. We don't have, like, beeping stuff.
1: We take off our packs, and Matt steps through the tree. I follow behind him, big smile on my face. I can't quite believe I've been sucked into this. I feel like a giddy eight-year-old stepping into Narnia. I come out the other side of the tree and step carefully around twigs and branches so I don't make a noise. And two or three minutes later, we arrive. Silence. I settle in, sitting on the moss where I can lean against a huge old tree that's lying on the ground. It looks like it's been there a thousand years. I'm completely in the mode now. I I clear my mind and I pretend that I'm here in this very spot ten thousand years ago. And I'm gone. For the next hour I tune into every living sound. I walk back to the trail, makes me really aware that I'm I'm now on a return journey, leaving this silent place that nature has preserved. And it seemed right to leave, to leave it to the birds and other wildlife. I step back through the tree.
3: See us down the trail a little ways.
0: The first words are always the hardest when you come out of a place like that. And I've always noticed that it's so hard to then kind of break that silence and come out of that place. It really seems like Chris came out very overwhelmed. And not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, we'll find out more. um, But it's not uncommon for that to be the reaction. Where it's like, I can't really talk right now. I just need to sit with this. and um, Yeah, it's really powerful.
1: the way a year ago this week it's because of her that you know I love the forest and birds she'd absolutely love it she would have my mum would have loved this place like all of us the silence of the wild is, is something perhaps we all need once in a while
0: And I think like we as humans evolved to be in quiet and in nature and, you know, being in a place like this, like to me, it feels Mm -hmm. like home, you know, you get the same feeling when like I return home and like hug my mom and dad or it's like just that total, yeah, just that total contentness, you know, like nothing is really wrong in a way, you know, or the things that are wrong are, they're okay, they're solvable. Everything is okay.
1: Everything is okay. Nature's way of reminding us that maybe silence is the think tank of the soul. the think tank of the soul. I've stayed in close touch with Gordon Hampton. I could I could listen to him all day. He just has such a poetic way of describing nature and life. It's moving to listen to that podcast episode from 2019 and think about the world we entered after it came out. And to think about my mum too, the person in my life who really encouraged me to immerse in nature. We've done four of these wild specials on air now, and we may do more. I'd love to hear what you think. Did you enjoy them? What other kinds of stories would you like to hear from me and the team? We are all ears. (laughs) You can drop us a line at thewild at o r g. In the meantime, you can find more episodes of our podcast, The Wild with Chris Morgan, at kurw.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We promise to take you to wondrous places to meet really fascinating wild animals and people with stories you'll hopefully want to tell your friends. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle and me, Chris Morgan, with support from Wildlife Media. Our producers are Matt Martin and Lucy Suchek. Jim Gates is our editor. This broadcast version is produced by Brandy Fullwood. A very special thank you for their kind financial support to jill and Scott Walker, Rose Letwin, Ellen Ferguson, Anna Kimball, John Taylor, Paul Lister, Bob Yellalis, Barbara Stallman, Julian John Hansen, and Annie Mize. Our production team includes Paul Bikis, Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Michaela genotti Boyle, Tatiana Latre, Cara McDermott, Darcy Riggins Schmidt, and Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm Chris Morgan. Take good care of yourselves and each other and nature, our life support system. Thanks so much for listening.
5: Hey, my name's Claire McGrain and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts.